Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give it our full attention. A son honors his father, and a master his servant. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is that, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part that he will receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there are one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am the Lord. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place. Incense is going to be offered to the name, to my name, and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and now to the preaching of his word. You may be seated. Pastor Antonio prayed this morning for the blessing of the preached word. So we want to now consider these verses in Malachi. Saints, when we, if there is someone in a sport, and no matter how long they're in the sport and how long they're proficient in the sport, um, that person is not exempt from, at times, going back to the fundamentals and and rehearsing the basics of their sport. Uh, I think of myself, uh, not that I was the greatest, probably not that I, I was even uh, great <laughs> or even good, uh, but when I used to play basketball, I can remember myself trying to learn all of these various moves um, that I can you know, show off to my friends. But I remember coaches and people telling me, uh, Isaiah, you need to re- always rehearse the basics. You need to always rehearse the fundamentals. And saints, this morning we want to rehearse sort of the, the ABCs of Christianity, the, the basics of Christianity. Now, it's not primarily the gospel itself, although we can rehearse what the gospel is and consider some of the implications of the gospel and how we can live in light of the gospel, which we will do, but we want to consider corporate worship itself. And this fundamental ABC truth of Christianity, and that is, what type of worship are we bringing to God each Sabbath day? That's a question we have to ask ourselves, is it not? I mean, that is one of the most hardest questions we have to ask ourselves because it, it, it allows us to search the, the, the dark corners of our own hearts. 
to, to examine ourselves, to put a mirror upon ourselves and ask ourselves, what am I bringing to the Lord? Yes, I know this doctrine, I know this doctrine, I know that doctrine. But saints, you have to ask yourself, are these doctrines that I know, are they allowing myself to bring a more pure worship to our God? <clears throat> Is the teachings that I'm hearing through Revelation, the teachings I'm hearing uh, Sunday afternoon on Christology, the things I listen to throughout the week, the things I read throughout the week, is it allowing me and inspiring me and enabling me and and, 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 and lighting more of a fire within me to bring to God a most pure and holy sacrifice? So ask yourself, saints, even this morning, even consider the attention that you've given thus far to corporate worship. Even thus far, ask yourself, am I giving to God the best? Have I given to God the best? Church started at 10.01. It's now 10.56. Have I given to God the best 55 minutes of my life? That's a question we have to ask ourselves up to this point. As we leave service, have I given to God the best one hour and 30 minutes, the best two hours of my life? That's a question that we have to ask ourselves. And today, saints, we want to consider that question. And the way in which we want to consider it is by looking at a people and giving us, and this, and this, this, this group of people, they give us a model of how we don't want to worship God. How we don't want to present a pure and holy sacrifice to God. What we read in the book of Malachi is essentially a group of post-exilic Jews who are coming out of captivity in Babylon. They've been stripped from their homeland. Uh, the temple has been destroyed. The, the priests and, and, and their temple sacrifices have all been decimated. Now they're coming back from being in exile in Babylon to their homeland. And they're noticing that things are not the way things used to be before they were exiled. In fact, it's been 70 years since they've been exiled and now they return to their homeland. And they're looking at everything and they see that, that the temple has been rebuilt and the sacrifices are being offered and the priesthood has been reinstituted. And, and they're thinking that, okay, things are going to go back to the way in which things used to be. And and as they're surveying their land, as opposed to as opposed to the lands across the sea, as opposed to the, the lands in, in, in the broader regions, they're seeing that, that things are not the way in which it used to be. That, that God's favor is not here. That, that God is not blessing us in the way in which he used to bless us. In fact, you, if you read Malachi, even in chapter 1, they're even questioning the love of God. Does God even love us compared to these pagan nations where it seems that they are thriving. And now what you have in Malachi is you have really just six sermons. It's sort of like a dialogue between God and the nation of Israel. Now, whether or not God and Israel are actually saying these things, this is what they're thinking at least. This is what they're thinking. Why is God not giving to us why is he not blessing us the way in which he used to bless us? 
That's what the people are asking. Why, why is God blessing these pagan nations and these ones who do not worship the one true God of Israel? Why is God, it seems, blessing them, but not blessing us? What is it about us? And God is going to give them the reason why they are not prospering the way in which God has prescribed to them to prosper, only prospering, though, insofar as you obey my word. Look at verse 6, saints, if you would. Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of armies to you, the priest who despised my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? What is Malachi doing, first and foremost? What are they actually not doing? Well, we see in Malachi's day is that the people of, of God, you can say Israel, they're, they're, they're not giving God the proper respect that he deserves. And one of the ways in which God is laying out, right, the way in how you're not giving me the proper respect that I deserve is first and foremost how you view me. How you view me. To Israel, to these people, God's name is not being viewed as important. It's not being viewed as weighty. It's not being viewed as worthy. But we have to ask, what's the big deal about a name? What's so important about a name? Well, in those days, as many of you, I'm sure, know, a person's name stood for his character. It, it represented who he is in his being. A person's name came invested with meaning and importance. And when we consider this with God, we can say that God's name stands for his person. There is a correspondence between the name of God and the being of God. God is holy, not that he has holiness, but he is holy. God's name stands for his character. God's name reflects who he is. And the issue that's going on in Malachi's day is the people, as well as the priests, they were not taking into account the worth of God's name. The weightiness of God's name. You see, you see, saints, how we view, or rather, our worship to God, right? The externals of our worship to God is a good indication of how we view the name of God. Who our God is. And here we see in verse 6, God says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? We see here Israel is no longer seeing God as father. They're no longer doing the, they're no longer doing that which is natural to man. What is inherent in man, whether or not your father was good to you or not, is a son should honor their father. That is the natural order of things. Sons honor their fathers. Servants honor their masters. And the argument that's laid out is simply this. If a son, if the natural order of things is that a son is to honor his father, then how much more should you honor me? That's the, that's the basic argument that God is presenting to the people. If it's inherent in man for 
sons to honor their fathers and for servants to honor masters, then how much more should you honor God? That's the argument. <clears throat> Saints, think of all what Israel, our God, has done for Israel up to this point. God made Israel a nation. He chose them. He brought them out of Egypt. He gave them a land. He covenanted with them. All these blessings that's given to them up to this point, and yet they despise who he is. They've stopped regarding the weightiness of God's name. The question that we have to ask ourselves, saints, and even and, and, and these questions that I'm going to bring before you are questions that I myself have to ask, even myself. Is how is how weighty then are we viewing God's name each time we gather for corporate worship? How weighty are we viewing God's name? Each time we gather for corporate worship, consider the words of Psalm 29, 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Worship the Lord in holy attire. It's that last line that we want to consider. What does it mean to worship the Lord in holy attire? Well, simply put, what that means is that the way you approach God each Sabbath day, each day like today, is far different than the way in which you approach anything in this world. Simply put, the way you approach God on the Lord's day should be far different than the way you approach any event and anything you're going to do Monday through Saturday. That's what the psalmist means here. But I think, saints, when we think about this, <clears throat> it is common in our reform world to speak of corporate worship of, uh, to God and the corporate worship of God um, as the entrance to the means of grace. And we, we talk about this frequently. I mean, I talk about this, Pastor Antonio talked about talks about this frequently, and we should, right? Um each time the church gathers, through particular means, like the preaching of the word, like the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, baptism, if we, when we do that, the reading of the word, and various other things, prayer, God communicates grace through these ordinary means. So right now, I'm preaching to you. It's not just a man that's speaking to you words, but rather, if I'm speaking to you properly, accurately, and in accordance with God's word, it is God that is giving to you grace. He's pouring grace into your souls even right now. So this is what's called the preaching of the word and various other things as a means of grace. And saints, there's nothing wrong, again, with speaking about corporate worship as, as the entrance into the means of grace. It is the way in which God graciously bestows blessings upon his people. We should talk that way. Through the ordinary means, God does pour grace in the soul of his people. However, if we think that the gathering of the saints is merely just about us receiving grace from God, then we've missed the, what we've missed what the gathering of the saints is all about. We can so emphasize receiving grace through the ordinary means, where we can think that corporate worship is just about us receiving. And that's not what corporate worship is about, primarily. 
The primary reason why we worship to God is not for us to receive, but for us to give. That is the primary reason why you come today to corporately assemble under one name, Jesus Christ, under the triune God that which we have baptized in, we come to serve God. Not for God to serve us. This is our duty as Christians. Gathering together. Not saying, man, I wonder how much grace God's going to give me today. But rather, how can I give to God service? Saints, that is why we come to worship. And I'm not saying again that we aren't to emphasize the means of grace. We are. But there is a priority that we should emphasize. And that is we as Christians who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, we've come, yes, to hear about Christ and the gospel, but first and foremost, we've come to serve our holy God. That is why we've come this morning. That is why the Sabbath day was given to man. Not just morning and afternoon, but all day. Serve me. So saints, we should not view corporate worship as just us meeting together to receive something from God, but rather we are to view corporate worship in order for us to give something to God. Again, not that God, or rather not again, but not that God, not that we give to God something that he lacks. Not that God needs our worship. God's going to get worship from the angels and from creation. Even the lower things in this world. So God's going to get his worship. The question is, will we unite our voices with the holy angels? Will we unite our voices with the lower things of this world that give God worship? Will we do so? Natural reason tells us that we, because we're created in God's image, owe to God a due proportion of our time. What that means is natural reason tells us that there is a God and we owe to him service. In other words, you were created to worship God. You were created to worship God. Just as parents, uh, we have certain duties to our child and, my, and also to our wives if you have a wife. But to my child, I act justly to him by giving to him food, shelter. That's how I act justly to him. I owe to him those things. Well, likewise, saints, we as Christians, but also we as image bearers of God, owe to God service and our allegiance. We owe to God all of ourselves. <clears throat> so, saints, we have to ask ourselves, Is the way in which we approach corporate worship in correspondence to the one whom we are to give worship to? Again, is the way in which we approach corporate worship, the way in which we approach it, how we come into the Sabbath day, specifically the corporate worship, is our attitude in correspondence to the one whom we give worship to? In other words... 
since God's name is weighty and holy? Are we properly preparing ourselves to give holy service to a holy God? We all, many of us have jobs. Let's say you don't like your job. Your attitude going into the job is going to correspond to the job itself. If you hate your job, you're going to have a lazy attitude. Simply put. If you cook a meal that you know you're not going to enjoy, but it's healthy for you, the way in which you approach that meal is not going to be with enthusiasm. You're going to dread eating that meal. And saints, when we think about our holy God, our holy, glorious, majestic, all the all the things that I can prescribe to God, is our attitude in correspondence to that one? <clears throat> or is there a disconnect? Or is there a disconnect? As your pastor saints, I must say, even myself, that we all can do better at this. All of our attitudes, even myself, do not always correspond to the one whom we are to give worship to. Each and every one of us. Consider the things we give our devout attention to. Consider maybe an important meeting. How much attention would you give to an important meeting? And the readiness that will, that leads up to the important meeting. What about cooking for a guest? The things that you will prepare the day before, even hours before, before your guest arrives. And the, the focus that you will have on preparing a meal just for a guest. What about eating a well-cooked meal? What about even watching the latest and greatest movie that's out? The attention that we give to a screen that's playing for us a movie for an hour, two hours, however long. The attention that we give to that screen. Saints, even today, a quarterly meeting that's going to happen. Hour, hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, however long it is. First and foremost, we're having a worship service. That's first and foremost. The church is gathering. Saints, think of all the other things that you have done in your life where you had to travel far. Disneyland, baseball, basketball game, trying out a new restaurant. Your son has this thing going on. Your daughter has this thing going on. My niece has this thing going on. I got to go. It's over an hour away. Saints, how much more then? How much more then should we give to God all of ourselves on his holy day? If we give to the world our undivided attention, movies, cooking, How much more than should we give to our holy God who has saved us and loved us and has bought us by the blood of his son? How much more attention, how much more focus should we give to him on his day? And essentially what I'm doing, saints, is just I just want you 
to survey all the things in your own life that you give attention to and compare that to the attention that you give to God on his day. And truth be told, we all are coming up short. Each and every one of us are coming up short. But saints, this is what the Lord commands. And saints, he will not command you something that you cannot do. He says even in verse 11 of our text, from the rising, uh, for the rising of the sun, even to the setting, my name shall be great among the nations. All that is to say, saints, is how we approach God in worship. And as you contemplate this sermon, um, even now, consider how we approach God in worship is an indicator of how we value his name. How we approach him. The attention that we give to every single aspect of corporate worship, and even after, what we do after corporate worship, indicates how we view the name of God. As we continue with our text, what's so disturbing about these verses is that we see it's not just the people of Israel, but it's also the priests. The priests who are offering, who are not giving to God honor. It's as if, it's as if Reformation Bible Church, the people of God, excluding the, minis- the ministers, are giving improper worship to God, but, but also, now we got the elders. The elders also are giving improper worship to God. Now, the priests had a particular role within the nation of Israel. The priests were the men who were to be set apart from the rest of the community in order to carry out certain duties associated with worship and sacrifice. The priests also function as mediators of God, as God's presence. And as we come to verse 6, we see how the priests were not fulfilling their duties. In verse 6, it says, it says, a son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord uh, of hosts to you? O priest, who despised my name? But you say, the priests are going to say, how? How have we despised your name? Saints, If God ever asks you something or tells you something, do not talk back to him. And if you do, he's going to put you in your place. So the priests talk back to God and they're saying, how? How we despise your name, God? The priests are saying, have we not honored you? Have we not given to you the respect and honor that you deserve? It's almost as if the priests are saying, look, God, you have it all wrong. I mean, you, you know, you, you're the God who knows all things. How can you forget this? Check the record books. The temple is there. The priests are there. The sacrifices are being offered up. Who are you to say that we are despising your name? We're not despising your name. How can you have something against us? You see, the priest can't accept this accusation. God is wrong here. <laughs> he's right in everything in the, he's right 99.9% of the time, but he's wrong here. They can't accept this. Well, consider with me God's response in verse 7. The priest asks, how have we done this? Well, God says this then. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? And that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. And when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is that not evil? This is God saying. Or when you present a lame or sick animal, is that not evil? So offer it to your governor. Will he be pleased with you? Or will he receive you kindly, says the Lord of armies? 
God's charge against the priests is that they are offering polluted food upon the altar of God. And the priest's response reveals how they view God. Did you notice their response to God? God tells them, this is how you're defiling my name. You're offering polluted food upon the altar. Did you notice Israel's response? They said, but how have we polluted you? In other words, what the priests are saying is, yeah, we're offering you polluted food upon the altar. Yeah, you're right. But how is that showing you dishonor? You see, in many ways, what the priests are saying is what we are offering you corresponds with how we view you. That's what they're saying. What they're saying is polluted food, offering polluted food upon the altar, offering lame and sick and evil animals upon the altar, that we are acting rightly and justly because you are a polluted God. So our sacrifice, polluted food, corresponds to a polluted God. Why would we offer you the best? That's what Israel is saying. That's what the priests are saying. But saints, we see that offering a polluted food only reveals not that they're worshiping a polluted God, but only that they themselves are polluted. That they themselves are polluted. And saints, we are to learn from this as well. Not that our hearts are polluted. I'm not saying that at all. I, I don't know your hearts, but I can say sometimes our hearts can be indifferent. Our hearts at times can be indifferent. And we do a, a very good job talking about how we are to act outside of the walls of the church. We talk about the virtues. We talk about the Spirit helping us when we're talking to our family members and friends. We're talking about being a disciple of Christ outside of the walls. And we, we spend a lot of time talking about that. And we should. We should talk about ways in which we can be more Christ-like outside of the walls. But saints, I will say... That is equally as important, if not more important, of how a Christian acts within the walls of the church. Not Christian to Christian, but Christian to God. How we are to act within the walls when it comes to our worship of God. We have to ask ourselves that, saints. Is, am I acting like a Christian? Not to my fellow Christian. But when God looks upon my sacrifice of praise, does he see my sacrifice of praise, me, only me, apart from everyone else, me, myself, as a sweet aroma? Does he see that as a pleasing sacrifice? Well, in verse 8, we see how wicked God views the priest's actions. He says, and when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is that not evil? Is it not evil? Or when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not evil? So offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly? That last line, we can just hammer that right now. What you give to me, would you give that same thing to your governor? The same attention that you give to me on this Sabbath day, would you give it to your worldly employers? They would fire you. The same laziness, would you give that to your children? Would you give it to your wife? 
Would you give it to the guest that's coming from out of town? Would you give it to the movie? But saints, offering these type of things in Malachi's day, God is truly right in saying that it's evil. Offering something that's lame and sick, it's an evil thing. We read this in Deuteronomy 17.1, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish or defect whatever. For that is an abomination to the Lord your God. Leviticus 22.22, animals blind or, uh, or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs. You shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering to the altar. It's not as if the priests did not know this. It's not as if the people did not know this. They knew that offering unholy things to a holy God was evil. And indeed, it is evil. But saints, we have to ask, why did God receive or require a sacrificial animal to be unblemished? Why did he require the best of the best? Why can't a lame, a sick, a blind animal be good enough? Well, the answer is twofold. When God in the Old Testament required the best sacrifices, it was to reflect two things. Number one, as we already talked about, it was to reflect who God is. The the sacrifice is to be in correspondence to the one whom you are giving that sacrifice to. If God is holy, or rather, since God is holy, you give to God a holy sacrifice. So that's just a basic argument. But also, these animal sacrifices reflected Jesus Christ. The animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, they reflected Jesus Christ. So when God required the best of animal sacrifices... The sacrifices they themselves were types and shadows. What that means is they were pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. The one who would be pure and holy and unblemished. These, these pure and unholy and, 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 and unblemished sacrifices, they were to be a foreshadowing of the God incarnate who was to come who he himself is pure and holy and unblemished. So there's a link between the sacrifice you give in correspondence to the God who you serve, but also the God who's going to come and save you. Here's the contrast, saints. Israel is offering blemished sacrifices to God. But when... and Loosely speaking, when it's time for God to give a sacrifice, what type of sacrifice does God give? What type of sacrifice does God give to his people? Now, not merely in correspondence to himself, but in correspondence to us. God gives the best to the worst. In fact, it would be right and just for God to give to us an unholy sacrifice. Because we're an unholy people. But God doesn't do that. God gives to us his eternal son, in which there is no correspondence to us who are in Adam, sinners, in need of a savior. But he gives to us this one. 
So when it's, when it's time for God to give a sacrifice, does he not give anything other than the best? And sure he does. And saints, what God is saying is when you present to me blemished, when you present to me unholy, when you present to me animals that are lame and sick, you are making a mockery of my son Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he will present upon the altar of God. But now we can think about the type of sacrifice that Christ gave. Yes, the Father sent his Son to be a sacrifice for our sins. But Jesus Christ does not lay upon the altar of Calvary and he says, here, evil people, here's my sacrifice. He presents his sacrifice to God. That is why on the cross, it is Jesus Christ giving the ultimate act of worship. It's the ultimate act of sacrifice. Not just outwardly, God, I'm giving you the best, but inwardly. I am cut to the heart because I know the sins of my people are so great, and I know you are so holy. And you, God, are owed the best. So I give to you all of myself. Christ offers all of his being to holy God to redeem us. And saints, we can then, just as Israel did, just as the priests did, who were making a mockery of the perfect sacrifice of Christ that's to come, we too can fall into this half-hearted worship. It is true that we don't offer animal sacrifices today. It is true that we look to and place our faith in Christ, who has, who was the perfect sacrifice. However, does it mean that doesn't negate, that doesn't do away with us having an obligation to God? As we read in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Saints, based off of Paul's words, we have to ask ourselves, again, what type of sacrifice are we offering to the Lord each day? And not to say that our sacrifice will ever, ever, ever rival Christ's sacrifice. But is your sacrifice of praise, is your sacrifice, your spiritual worship, is that amening the sacrifice of Christ? We have to ask ourselves, are we giving to God each Sabbath day the best of ourselves? Or are we merely giving to him the leftovers and scraps of Saturday and Friday? Saturday and Friday comes along. We give all of our attention to those days. But saints, we have to ask ourselves again, are we approaching Sabbath day, Sunday? Are we, are we preparing and approaching that that far ex- exceeds the way in which we approach Friday and Saturday? I mean, is there a longing? I mean, after, after corporate worship is done and after, after, after Sabbath day is over, Are you saying to yourself, I cannot wait to worship with the saints again? I can't, I I need to worship with Christ's people once again. Congregation, God is not interested in our leftovers. God is not a, 
I'll take whatever I, I can get type of God. And if you think he is that, consider Nadab and Abayu. Nadab and Abayu, I'm sure many of you know, they were the sons of Aaron. They were priests. We read in Exodus 24 that they had the opportunity with the 70 elders to go up to the mountain. They had an experience with God that we will never have in our lifetime here. And we read in Leviticus chapter 10 something most disturbing, most awful, that they offer strange fire to the Lord. And upon that, God burns them up. Oh, how easy, how easily they forgot what they saw with those 70 elders and Aaron and Moses. If Nadab and Abayu can have an experience with God that we can never have, and then turn around and forget about that experience and offer to God strange fire, then saints, how much more are we prone to forget? And do you remember, saints, do you remember what God's response was to the burning up of Nadab and Abihu? Do you remember what he said? He didn't say, oh, my bad. Aaron, Moses, um, let me sit you down and let me give you the reason why. He didn't address the people of God and give them a reason. But he says in Leviticus chapter 10, 3, by those who come near to me, I will be treated as holy. And there before all people, I will be honored. What is God's excuse? Because I'm holy. And those who come near to me, as if, like today, coming near to God, I will be treated as holy. Now you might say, well, that was in the Old Testament. And God burned them up quickly. But God's not going to burn us up now. But saints, doesn't mean that God is not also prolonging his judgment. It doesn't mean that God is being patient with you. But also, just because we don't feel the swiftness of God's justice doesn't mean, practically speaking, we won't see it in our lives. It might be your child becoming apostate. It might be something very severe coming to your life. There are many ways in which we can slice this pie. But saints, we are to consider... Nadab and Abayu, and how easily they forgot about the holiness of God. Because we too, far too easily forget about who our God is. It was John Calvin who said, God requires not mere ceremonies of those who serve him, but he is satisfied only with the sincerity of heart, with faith and holiness of life. In other words, what Calvin is saying is God is not glorified in just mere outward religious practices apart from sincere heart devotion. You see, saints, this is the, this is the big context of our verses. Israel, the people of God, is not as if they're worshiping a false god. They're not worshiping a pagan deity. They're worshiping the one true God of Israel. The problem is there's no heart in it. 
And what God is showing these people and what he's showing us is we can have the best liturgy. We can have the best preaching. We can give the most money. We can wear the best suits. But if there is no heart in it, then what are we really doing? Even God says in our verses, oh, if there was one among you who would just shut the gates. We can have all the forms of outward religion checked off, but our religion still can be dead. We can check off all the externals except checking our own hearts. Saints, we too can be this way. We can go through all the emotions and motions and all the externals and, and we can confuse the pageantry and the outward appearance of religion as the real thing. And if there is no proper heart posture, it is not the real thing. And God says, I don't even want it. Present that to your governors. Present that to those who are above you, earthly speaking. In closing, saints, <clears throat> there are many great things <clears throat> that many of you great people are good at. Um, many of you are great problem solvers. Many of you are great at math, cooking. The saints, as Christians, and I'm not saying negate those things, as Christians, though, This, this should be your aim at what you ought to be good at. Am I good at giving all of my soul to God? Simply put, saints, <clears throat> um, just personally speaking, I don't want to be the one that has all the knowledge in the world. I don't want to know Every single thing there is to be known. I don't want to learn how to. And I'm still learning how to cook every single dish in the world. I have many aims in life to be a good father, to be a good husband, to be a good son, to be a good shepherd. But also in the truest sense of the word, to be a good worshiper of God. To be one who offers to God all of me, all of myself. Now, last question I will ask to you and I will answer. Well, then what happens then? Let's just let's just say we do offer to God all of our heart devotion. What will happen? What's in it for me, which is the wrong question, but let's grant it. What will happen to me if I give everything of myself, all of my being to God? What's in it for me, God? Consider the words. Of Isaiah 58, verses 13 through 14. If because of the Sabbath you restrain your foot from doing as you wish on my holy day and call the Sabbath a pleasure and a the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Now here is the great, here's the great blessing then you will take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of, J of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. And we say, will that really come true? 
Will it really happen? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What will happen, saints, if you really give to God all of yourself? You will take delight in the Lord. You will take delight in the Lord. Simply put, saints, if we don't give God proper worship, we're not depriving God from anything. But what God is saying here is you're actually depriving yourself. You're actually limiting yourself from everything you could be and can be. So saints, this morning, give to God all of your being. Give to God all of your soul. And when you do, you will take delight in the Lord. Let's pray.